join me as I pray. Father, Lord, we just sang those words that we rejoice that you are our Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. Would you come and be that for us today? Father, you see every heart that's here this morning. You know every person by name. You know all the things that are going through each person's mind, all the things we brought in, the longings we have. Lord Jesus, would you come? Make yourself known among us this morning as we open up your word. Come, speak into our hearts. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come bring your light to break in and break through. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. There's a cry of every soul that I believe is filled with longing. We hear it, we feel it, we know it exists because we try to satisfy that, that, that longing in all of our hearts. We try to satisfy it with the things that we see all around us. What I believe the human heart, every heart here, is longing for is to be known, seen, loved, and accepted. And I would say the longing of every heart, and though we might not know at times how to articulate it, the only way that it's going to be satisfied is in relationship with God, in fellowship with the living God. We're beginning a journey through 1 John and the, and the New Testament. We started last week. We're going to continue this Sunday, and it'll carry us much into the fall. But the opening words of John last Sunday were very telling. They give us insight into why he is making this proclamation that Jesus, the uncreated one, has actually come among us to dwell, and he's come to go to the cross. Here's, one of the thing, here's some of the passages we read last week, 1 John, verses 3 through 4. John wrote, That's which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I love how John likens fellowship with God to joy. Isn't that glorious? No, I would gather that, that as John wrote this, he likely had Psalm 16 in the back of his mind. Psalm 16, verse 11, here's what King David wrote. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love what David wrote. In your presence, in fellowship with God, is joy, pleasures forevermore, the fullness of joy. Friends, fellowship with God is intimacy with God. It's being known fully by God, holding nothing back. And God holds nothing back to make himself known to you and me and his delight over us. So with that, I want to ask you a question to begin to think about. Would you say that your life is characterized by living in fellowship with God and that intimate communion with God? Would you say that's what characterizes your life? I think about that question, uh, and I've thought about it this week, and I recognize there are a lot of things that we could say characterize our lives, right? But the question I want to ask this morning is this. I wonder if fellowship with God is the richest part of your life. I wonder if you would say that. This morning, we're going to look at three different three points as we look at 1 John verses 5 through uh, 10. 1 John 1, 5 to 10. 
The things we're going to see that John highlights for us to help us walk in fellowship with God in this, as, as David put it, in his presence where there is fullness of joy. First is this, God is light. Secondly, sin is darkness. And the third thing we're going to look at is that God has made a way for us to walk out of darkness into light. God is light, sin is darkness, and God has made a way for us to walk out of darkness into light. First, I want to highlight this uh, reality that God is light. In verse 5, John writes, This is the message that we heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Now, what we find as we read throughout the scriptures is we see that there are a number of words that, that are used to give characteristics, character items of, of who God is. We see in the scriptures that God is infinite, God is eternal. God is spirit, God is love, and the list can go on and on. Here, John names a very important element of God's character, that God is light. Now, notice what John did not say. He did not say God is a light. He said God is light, and that is crucial for us to see, because the reality in his essence, God is light. And that's a description of the moral purity of God that God is holy, that God is morally pure in all of his essence. There is no darkness in him. That's the essence. But I want you to think about the nature of light for a moment, the nature of light that, that reveals, the nature of light shines and exposes. God, being light, he reveals himself to us, doesn't he? Think about this. This is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Do you see what it is? God's light reveals himself to us so that we can have a glimpse of the glory and majesty and beauty of our God. And we see that most reflected in Jesus, right? The second person of the Trinity. Light reveals, but light also exposes. And this is something we're going to look at for the next few minutes. Light exposes God, this infinitely pure, holy being, shines his light into the dark recesses of our hearts to expose the sin that is there. Now, some of you might go, I know he does that, but I don't like that. But friends, actually, it's good news. Because God shines his light in those dark places of our lives that we try to hide in order to expose the sin so that we can be set free. You see that? God shining his light in us is, act, is actually a gift of tremendous grace. Because God knows that darkness, sin, becomes a barrier in our relationship with him. That's the first thing we need to see. God is light. Second thing we need to look at is this. Sin brings darkness. I think we can all recognize that, can't we? John tells us here that one of the greatest reasons why we don't experience rich fellowship with God is because oftentimes we walk in darkness. Now, what he's referring to here is unrepentant sin, okay? John writes this in verses 6, 8, and 10. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, 
and his word is not in us. Did you get that? One of the things we have to see about our lives is we are prone every day to walk in darkness. Unrepentant sin brings darkness. Now, we don't want to admit this, but I'm going to say it anyway. We are all masterful deceivers. We're all masterful deceivers. Now, some of you have got an amen, but some of you may be thinking, no, I'm really not, Robert. You don't know me. I, I'm not a masterful deceiver. And, and you'll be thinking, I'm actually offended that you would say I'm a masterful deceiver. Well, let me ask you a few questions and see if you still say that in a moment. When was the last time that you got angry with someone and you said or you thought, I wouldn't have said what I said, I wouldn't have done what I did if you hadn't said what you said? You ever had those conversations with a friend, family member, maybe your spouse? You ever had those? I think we've all had those times where we, we say, well, I wouldn't have done this if you hadn't done this. And what are we doing right there? We're denying our role, our culpability, right? We're denying our sin and placing it on them, right? Kids are masterful at saying, he made me do it. She made me do it. <laughs> You've got kids. I'm sure they've said it. I know I said it and our kids said it too. What's happening there? You're denying the reality of any fault of your own. When was the last time that you downplayed your sin, saying to yourself, it's really not that big of a deal? It's really not that big of a deal. When was the last time you tried to convince yourself that you're really okay? I wonder for some here today, have you come to the place where maybe for some, you've stopped calling sin, sin. It's just a bad habit. Or I'll get over that. Or when was the last time you tried to cover the fact that you don't have it all together? Have I gotten everyone here today? <laughs> I think we're all in that camp. Friends, the reality is we are all master deceivers. We're masterful at deflecting sin, excusing sin, denying sin, downplaying sin, blame shifting. There are different subtle ways that we find ourselves doing that throughout a day. That's the first thing we need to see about darkness. When we hide, when, when we deceive ourselves, we see this in, in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Where have I deceived myself? It's a question we need to ask. Second thing we want to see under this is this. Go back to verse 6. John wrote, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out of the truth. Now remember, John is writing this to these new Christians, likely in Ephesus. And he's writing and he's saying, if you say you have fellowship with God, but there is unrepentant sin, there's habitual sin that, that you're not repentant of, you're actually walking in darkness, and the, the fellowship you think you're having with God, you're being fooled because it's not real, because you've got hidden sin over here. It's like one could say, well... I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in God. I follow him. I know there's certain things I shouldn't do, but I'm going to keep doing this. Right? And I think we can so easily segment our lives off. And we have our Christian life over here, and there's certain things we want to honor God in. But even culturally, there's so many things today that the more we watch and hear, they were like, oh, but everyone is doing this. Or it's really okay. Other Christians are doing it, so this is no big deal. But if it's sin and we're walking in unrepentant sin, what we're doing is we are blocking, we're 
getting in the way, sin is getting in the way of our deep fellowship that God longs that we have with him. You see, John is saying this, when you and I live with, un, with unrepentant habitual sin, we're living a lie. We're living, a, we're living in darkness if we think we're having fellowship with God. You see, in this scenario, we can't have a flourishing relationship with God. It can't happen because sin hinders that. The prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Those are weighty words. But I want us to hear it because John, what, what I love about John is he doesn't hold anything back. He speaks the truth and he speaks it for a reason so that we would come out of hiding, out of darkness, into light, into greater fellowship with God. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, I hear what you're saying about how, but by this about sin and my relationship with God, but I remember what Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So with that, how can sin be a barrier? How can sin get in the way of my relationship with God? Because, right, if our sins have been forgiven past, present, and future, doesn't that mean that, that I'm completely forgiven and, and it's okay? Those statements that Paul wrote are very true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The danger is this. The danger is when we do not live lives of repentance. The danger is when we hide and deny our sin or stop calling it sin. John is telling us that we're walking in darkness and that darkness hinders our relationship with God. Something that we need to see here about our relationship with God. If you're a follower of Jesus, two things are important to see. First, we need to understand our legal standing with God. Our legal standing as a follower of Christ means that we are completely forgiven by the blood of Christ. He will never bring our sins up again. They are forgiven past, present, and future. The blood of Jesus now makes us innocent and without guilt. That's how God sees us. But there's also a personal relationship with God. And this is where unrepentant sin interferes and gets in the way. You see, unrepentant sin hinders that personal relationship with God. When you and I fuse to repent, when we deny that we have sin in our lives, we walk in darkness, and what we're actually doing is elevating ourselves above God. You see that? Think about any relationship that you have with someone, right? If, there is, if there's brokenness there and there's sin there that's unrepentant, that's going to get in the way of a good, healthy relationship, isn't it? I mean, that's just natural for us. But even more so with God, that when we walk in unrepentant sin, our tendency is to pull away from God and we want to hide. Often we see, and I see this today, and I see how, how easy it is to be prone to this, we hide, we deny, we justify, we excuse, and friends, ultimately it can go to that place of saying sin is no longer sin. We see that happening all over the place today, don't we? In our culture, it's offensive and even wrong to say, to call sin, sin, isn't it? I read an article from the Wall Street Journal a number of years ago, and the title caught my attention. It would catch yours as well because the title the journalist put was To Hell with Sin, When Being a Good Person Excuses Everything. And I was like, i got to read this. Well, the journalist was writing about a lady by the name of Kathleen Ann Salina. 
Saliah. Some of you may know who she is. She was a former member of the Symbionese Liberation Army in the mid-70s. I don't know if some of you might remember that in Los Angeles where these group of folks in this organization got together and they sought to put bombs under police cars around L.A. Well, for 23 years, Saliah successfully evaded the police. They finally caught up with her. She was living in a, in a Midwestern town under a different name in an upper, upper middle-class neighborhood, an active member of her local church. When the police found her and arrested her, the church raised a million dollars for her bail. And they said this. They argued, saying that any crime she may have committed were canceled out by her good works as a community volunteer. She read to the blind. She was uh, very involved in her community doing charity work. And the article went on to say this, how her church focused more importantly on good works, that being a good person was most important, and that canceled out your sin. So as long as you had enough good deeds, that cancels out your sin. And that's more important. But what they realized, what I, the article, the author realized, what that denies the reality of sin and the atonement of Jesus. The author, the journalist, concluded the article by writing these words. The saga of Kathleen Saliah lays bare the all-too-human underpinnings of the modern therapeutic church. From the church's perspective, it seems, Saliah is no longer a sinner in need of forgiveness and atonement, but a patient in need of non-judgmental care. To determine what justice requires in her, church, in her case, the church maintains we need only to consider her personal story, the heart-tugging tale of a revolutionary turned community leader and soccer mom who is now the victim of a cold and hard and personal justice system. Do you see what happens when we deny sin being sin, when we don't own it? We can go down that trail to think, as long as I'm good, that's what's really needed. But friends, here's the danger. If we go down that road, we deny the atonement of Jesus. We deny the reality of why God sent his son into this world. We deny the reality of the blood of Jesus covering our sin. That atonement had to be made because sin is such an offense to God. But I want you to see this, and it leads into the last point. As offensive as our sins are to God, to his holiness, to his moral purity, to his lightness, being a light, God himself made a way, friends, that we can come and be open with the brokenness of our lives, with our sin. We don't have to hide. We don't have to run from it. We can name it and say, God, I did this. Forgive me. And we find, boom, our sins are forgiven. And instead of God looking with, 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 um, with anger and wrath at us as his children, he looks upon us with no condemnation. What Paul wrote in Romans 8 is correct. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of the things that John is bringing out here, if we want to have fellowship with God, he's saying, don't hide. Don't walk in darkness. Don't walk in unrepentant sin. Because Jesus has made a way for you to have fellowship with me. Walk in the light. Walk in the truth. Own your, your, the mess of your life. And let the blood of Jesus cleanse and cover this is what John is writing in verses 7 and 9. He wrote, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, 
and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you see the invitation he's giving? Walk in light. But friends, I recognize how challenging it is at times. Because when we sin, what the enemy wants to do is, is he, wants to, he wants to deafen our ears to the call of God's grace and forgiveness. He wants us to walk in shame, doesn't he? In guilt. But friends, walking in light means that Jesus came to heal and not destroy. And so we can bring our sins and repent before him. I love one theologian put it this way. All of life is repentance. Isn't that good? All of life is re repentance. I actually thought, and this has been years ago, I thought that the, the, the longer I was a Christian, the less I would sin and have to repent. But it's been quite the opposite. <laughs> I've become more aware of my sin and become someone who is repenting a lot more than I ever thought I would. And, and, and at one time I thought, no, that's not good. But I don't know, wait a minute, that's a lie. That is what Jesus wants for us, right? He wants us to be walking in light, and when we sin, we repent, receive his forgiving grace, and enjoy the glorious fellowship that he has for us. All of life is repentance. Let me wrap it up by this one illustration. C.S. Lewis in his book, A Horse and His Boy. It's a book, it's a story about a little boy named Shasta and a horse. They had been kidnapped. Both had evil, oppressive masters. But when they were brought together, they talked about how they were going to escape. Here's how their conversation went. By the way, I suppose you know how to ride, says the horse. Yes, of course, said Shasta. At least I've ridden the donkey. Ridden the what? said the horse. In other words, you can't ride. That's a drawback. I'll have to teach you as we go along. Well, if I can't ride, then I can fall, said Shasta. I suppose anybody can fall. But I mean, you can fall and get back up again, and fall and get back up again, and fall and get back up again. Shasta finally came to the conclusion, okay, I'll try, I'll try. Poor little beast, said the horse <laughs> in a gentler tone. I forgot you're only a fowl. We'll make a fine rider of you in time. You know what C.S. Lewis is illustrating there? He's illustrating the Christian life. He's illustrating the Christian life for you and me. We are all riding on a journey. And the reality is we're all going to fall. But we're going to get back up. And we're going to keep going. And then we're going to fall again. And we're going to get back up and we're going to keep going. And we're going to fall again. You get the message? You know that. That's what life following Jesus is like, right? But when we fall... Do we stay on the ground? No, we fall when we sin. We turn our eyes heavenward and say, God, forgive me for this. And in that repentance, we're turning and receiving the grace and the blood of Jesus over our sins. And we get back up with greater boldness. And we walk in relationship in deeper and deeper ways with Jesus. You see, we're all going to fall. But when we get back up and see Jesus, friends, that makes all the difference in the world. Amen? Do you see that? That's the call. That's why John is writing here, don't walk in darkness. Don't deny your sin. Walk in the light. Oh yeah, you're going to fall. But get back up. 
by the grace of God and keep walking. Because, friends, if the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin, and that's what it does, there's nothing that you and I need to fear. And so we can go with openness and honesty to God who sees, who welcomes, who forgives. And, friends, he brings us into the most glorious fellowship. You want to talk about a fellowship of joy, regardless of what might be going on in the world in which you live or the things in your family, what might be going on, there is a joy that can be had because we have a God who paid the price for our sins. And when we see and walk in fellowship with him, friends, I will tell you, there is nothing greater than that. And that's the invitation that John is inviting us into. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us enough to, to, to convict us. But in your convicting of us, you do not condemn us. And so, Jesus, open our eyes to see the brilliance of your light, that we would welcome your light shining in our lives, that as darkness is exposed, as we repent, oh, Lord, may we walk with greater and greater joy in your presence. We love you and bless you for this gift of your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We stand.